0: And welcome to episode one of Kidlit These Days, a book riot podcast. Kidlit These Days is your kidlit connoisseurs pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. This podcast is hosted by me, Karina Yan-Glazer, alongside Matthew Winner. We are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on March 12th, 2019. So hello, Matthew.
1: Hi, Karina. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm very excited about this.
1: Totally. How's your week been?
0: Well, today was really great, and I met someone very cool.
1: Who did you meet?
0: So Gail Carson Levine was doing an event in New York at the New York Society Library, and I got to bring my kids to her workshop, and it was super fun. She spoke for about an hour and 15 minutes, and right off the bat, she had us take out paper and pen and she had three writing prompts and so there are a bunch of kids there and their parents and um, so we started doing the writing prompts and she had us write for 15 minutes and which is sort of long I thought <laughs> because some of the kids were sort of young but it, w- it went great like it was just quiet and people were writing and I've had this sort of like cold for the last month and so I when I was writing, I started coughing. And sometimes when I start coughing, I, I can't stop. And then I was sort of embarrassed because I was <laughs> coughing so much. And and then I like, felt, like this person next to me, I look up and it's Gail Carson Levine. And she like has like these cough drops. And she's like, would you like a cough drop? <laughs> and I was like, yes, please. And she was super nice and really interesting to uh, hear her talk. And She's got a new book coming out in spring 2020, which I'm very excited about. And yeah, she was amazing. She was great.
1: What a great day out. That sounds wonderful. I spent the day at school in our elementary school library in Columbia, Maryland, and filled my day with time with kids, which is the greatest way to, to spend a day, I think. My students love when I come to lunch with them. And I love it, too, because then we have this like really great bonding time outside of class. But we started a thing uh, a couple months ago, the PE teacher and I, where we take selfies with the students at lunch, and then Uh we post them on this bulletin board outside (laughs) my library. So today when Uh I came to lunch, all of them (laughs) wanted to know right away if I would sit with them so that inevitably... I would have my phone with me and we could end up on the board together. So (laughs) that was a lot of fun. That's
0: a great idea.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's so great. We have um, all of our, almost all of our teachers in the entire building now have taken photos at lunch bunch or have gone to the cafeteria or have had special recess time with their classes and they all want to get their picture up on that board. And uh, it's really cool too, just that every time the students walk past they find themselves. They find their friends. Even if that photo has been up there for a month, they you can see the pride in being part of the family at our school, that we're all doing this together, that we're breaking bread together, we're playing outside together, we're building community and being family together. I love it. It's great.
0: That's amazing. I love it. Bo, um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself. So we know that you're a librarian. We know that you live in Maryland. Anything else you want to share about yourself?
1: Well, I uh, am also a children's book blogger and podcaster, and I have a lovely family who ends up being um, the folks that I talk about most while I'm in school. And then I talk about my students when I come home. <laughs> uh, so we have really neat best. connections. It is the best, but I'm grateful to be able to read with my children and with my wife, who also loves the books that we read and have these discussions and then uh, make those connections where you bring the books into school Uh, and and have the connections with children. And then we reach out globally as you do over Twitter or over Skype and connect with authors and illustrators and empower voice that students have voice in this world. It's just the greatest time I feel to be a kid and to be a teacher because we're all so connected and it really feels like we're connected.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that Um, Well, I love that teachers and librarians are always reaching out to authors and asking them to connect, and I love that authors are so accessible these days. Like, um, If we can't travel to your school or your country, we can always Skype, we can always email, or do it the old-fashioned way through snail mail, which I love to do, and yeah, it's awesome.
1: Well, so, um, Karina, why don't we get into our sponsor for today's episode? Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or for your own personal pre-ordering needs? I know as a librarian, I am always looking for what's coming out. If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident Veloci-reader Liberty Hardy. for. The from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Just go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. Tell me more about you, Karina. I know that you're an author, but I'm sure that there are people listening that haven't yet met you. And I want to learn more details about you too. Okay,
0: well, I um I am a children's book author and illustrator. I write middle grade books, so books um geared for children ages about 7 to 12 and um my books are a series. And the first book is called The Vanderbeekers at 141st Street. And the second one is called The Vanderbeekers in the Hidden Garden. There'll be a third one out in September called The Vanderbeekers to the Rescue. But before I had my books published, I started working at Book Riot talking about children's literature, especially about middle grade books, which is my passion. So about five years ago, I joined the Book Riot team and became a contributing editor there. And In the last year and a half, I've been doing a lot of the newsletters. So, doing the Kids Lit newsletters, which is called The Kids Are All Right. And you can subscribe going to the bookriot.com website and going to newsletters. And you can just pop your email in there. And there are over 20 newsletters you can subscribe to um, about all different types of topics and. if you're interested in new releases, you can sign up for that. So I do the kidlet one, which is great, and it comes out twice a week, and I talk about new releases, and I talk about book recommendations, and it's great. And I live in New York City, um, specifically in Harlem, and I live here with my husband and my two kids, who are nine and almost 11, and five pets <laughs> which <laughs> is a lot yeah so three cats and a dog and a rabbit and we are all nice and cozy in a tiny two-bedroom apartment
1: <laughs> you're all close you're all cozy and warm it's very chilly out there we got an ice storm coming in maryland so you know kind of talk about the get weather a lot of snow yeah well yeah, yeah. Gives me a lot of time to be on social media and listening to what's going on in the news and shaking my head sometimes, but also seeing some of the great things going on in children's literature to make sure that for all that is going on, we all seem to be so focused on centering things back with our students, with our learners, with our readers. And that's something I really value about this community.
0: That's great. And I thought... That would be a good jumping-off point to what we're going to be talking about today, which is an issue that has been dominating the news for the past month in the United States, which is the border wall. And this has been such a contentious issue, and the government has been shut down. As of taping, we are still shut down. And um, that is due to President Trump's insistence for $5 billion in funding for a southern border wall. Um, I had to look it up because I didn't remember when exactly it started because it feels like it's just been going on for so long. But it was... It began on Saturday, December 22nd, and we are now on day 27 of the shutdown, and currently 420,000 federal employees are working without pay, and 380,000 employees are furloughed. So that's about 800,000 federal employees who missed their first paycheck this past Friday.
1: Yeah, and do you? I have colleagues whose spouses have been affected, whose families are affected by this. Uh, And some very recently that were called back in to work and and promised back pay. But still, this is a very, very challenging time.
0: It is. It's very interesting to, I mean, people have bills now to pay. So I don't, I'm always puzzled about the back pay because it doesn't help right now when you're not getting paid for the bills you need to pay now. So it's been really interesting. And this past month is not the only time we've heard about this wall. This debate has been going on for so long, but um, it's been at the forefront of all of our minds in the past few years since the presidential campaign in 2016. And one of President Trump's campaign promises was that he was going to build that wall and that Mexico would pay for it. And then he used so much different language describe ethnic groups and in particular his remarks about Mexicans and members of the Latinx community disturb disturb so many of us who write for kids and who work with kids every day.
1: Yeah, and that language to, as a teacher, know that our, our leader, the leader of our country is using that language, has planted some difficult moments in our classrooms, ones that uh ones where our parents, our families are questioning their safety, are questioning where support is going to come from. And schools throughout our nation, you know, we work, that's our that's our priority is to make sure our students feel safe, feel valued, feel cared for. And that news when it makes it into our classrooms, sometimes it can be confusing to to feel like you like someone is telling you that you don't belong, mm-hmm. right? But our teachers and our administrators, our schools, we continue that work to protect students and to provide a safe learning environment where all are welcome. But last October, last October on social media, I'm sure many of our listeners saw this. Two photos from an Idaho elementary school taken um, of the staff on Halloween went viral. Do you recall seeing these photos, Karina?
0: Yes, I did. Actually, the person who pointed it out to me was um, the school librarian at the school my daughter's go to. And she was just looking at her computer and shaking her head and then looking at me and was like, did you see these photos? I went over and looked over her shoulder and yeah, it was, it was very shocking.
1: For those the need of reminder in these photos, we see five or six teachers in a room, uh, dressed a certain way. They're wearing, uh, large grass hats. They're wearing, um, striped ponchos. They are holding moroccos. They are, uh, some of them are wearing these fake mustaches. They're depicting Mexican stereotypes, Mm -hmm. A second photo showed another group of staff in the library, no less, dressed up as a wall. And when all the staff stood together, the phrase became clear, make America great again. And in doing that, the messaging that they shared to all of us seeing it over social media, became very, very clear. Now, the superintendent of Middleton Heights Elementary School, or of that district, responded, um, saying that uh, they were going to take this situation seriously, that they were going to investigate. Um, mm-hmm. Later, coming back, apologizing, issuing a, a video statement that we can link to uh, in our in our, um, notes here for, for people that want to, uh, follow back on that original article, but sharing that, um, through the investigation, uh, it was determined that his staff meant no harm in what they were doing, but many, many of us who witnessed this felt like it was more that they were acting out of an ignorance, out of a not knowing, out of a not considering. Those students that they taught, you know, almost 10% of the population of Middleton Elementary is Latino. Mm -hmm. And almost 13% of the students there are Hispanic or Latino. So this is a significant portion of their students that are being depicted by those that they are meant to trust and feel safe by and feel welcome by. They're being depicted as stereotypes. And Witnessing this messaging that uh, we want to keep you out—that to be safe, uh, you need to be excluded—at least that's the way those photos read to me, to this educator.
0: Right. I think um, I think those statistics that you just talked about was was disturbing to me because it wasn't as if this school is not racially diverse. It is a really diverse school, and to still see that coming from the teachers it felt I don't know when I saw that photo my stomach just dropped and yeah so it was interesting because I was curious about the response from the Latinx community and being the wonderful amazing people that they are on November 5th 2018, 25 award-winning Latinx children's book authors and illustrators sent a letter to the Middleton Heights School District with an incredible and gracious and generous offer. And we asked one of the authors of the letter, Jenny Torres Sanchez, to read it for us.
2: Dear Superintendent, we are a group of award-winning Latinx children's and young adult authors. We are writing to you to express our love and concern for the children of Middleton Heights Elementary School. While we are disheartened and dismayed by the decision of staff to wear offensive and racist Halloween costumes, we are also writing to extend a generous offer, an offer of compassion that we hope you will see it in your heart to accept. Children, their welfare, their education, and the shaping of their world are our business. Many of us are or were educators in addition to being authors for children and young adults. To hear that the children at Middleton Heights Elementary School were subjected to this offensive behavior by the very people they trust and look to for education and guidance was beyond disappointing, and we feel such a drastic offense requires drastic measures to remedy. While your teachers should know better, their actions show they do not. While we question their intentions at wearing such, in your words, clearly insensitive and inappropriate costumes, We are willing to accept your conclusion that they had no malicious intent. However, their poor decisions also clearly embraced closed-minded and hateful thinking, and worse, modeled it for young, impressionable minds. All of your students deserve better than this. We are sure this was painful and confusing for many of them, and especially for Latinx students. Not only are they subjected to this kind of thinking outside of their school, but now within their school too a place where they should feel secure and loved, not excluded. We take you at your word that you would like to learn from this and change. In that spirit, we would like to help you. We are extending an offer to visit your school. We would like to talk to your students and staff about the richness of our culture to show a positive and realistic representation of the very people this costume depicts as one-dimensional beings and implies should be kept out. To show that there is no danger in opening our hearts and minds to all people and displaying empathy and love to all mankind. To this end, we propose a school visit where we will, number one, give a presentation to a general assembly where we will give motivational speeches to inspire students to accept, love, and respect each other as we build community in our country. Number two, read excerpts from our books books which we created to help children understand and treat others with love and compassion. Number three, speak to and support your faculty and staff in a meet and greet apart from the General Assembly. Number four, bring and donate books by Latinx authors to enhance your classroom and school libraries. We implore you to take us up on our offer. We are eager to visit your school and hope you will welcome us.
1: We invited a few of the authors who signed this letter to join us on the podcast to talk about their reactions to those images from social media, as well as what it means to be a Latinx author writing for children in this current political climate. Middle-grade author Meg Medina shares first.
3: Hi, I'm Meg Medina, and I'm the author of "Yaki Delgado Wants to Kick Your Ass, Burn Baby Burn, and Mercy Suarez Changes Gears. When I first saw the images of um, the educators at Middleton Heights Elementary School dressed up as a border wall, you know, it was as though a sacred trust was was broken. You know, we send our kids to school, I think, every day as an act of faith, right? That they're going to be educated, that they're going to be safe and respected. And it doesn't always happen that way. School is hard with kids being difficult with each other, but we like to think that the adults in charge are sympathetic, are thoughtful, are kind and are fair. So it was heartbreaking to me, honestly. It was heartbreaking like in the callousness of it. And my feeling is that it's likely that that left a mark on some of those children that's going to last forever. Being a Latinx author right now in this political climate, I, I mean, I've changed a lot, I think. It's, it's made a huge impact on me. Like When I first started publishing, you know, I was happy enough to be a Latina author, to connect with all kinds of kids, especially, of course, with Latino kids who then, as now, had few examples of children's books that showed their families and their communities in a, in a positive light. But now I feel like I have to be present as witness to something really sinister and to name it. We're facing right now this rise of, of really dangerous us and them thinking positions that are insulting and just factually wrong and built on like these mountains of baseless fears. So now when I write, I'm even more conscious of having to create a safe space inside those pages for brown children of all backgrounds because frankly, their identities are under
1: siege author Jenny Torres-Sanchez, who co-wrote the letter to Middleton Heights School District Superintendent.
2: My name is Jenny Torres-Sanchez. I write contemporary books for young adults. My books are The Downside of Being Charlie, Death, Dickinson, and the Demented Life of Frenchie Garcia, Because of the Sun, and most recently The Fall of Innocence. My next book, An Exile, will be out in 2020. When I first saw the images of the educators at Middleton Heights Elementary School, I felt angry and sad and disillusioned. I was just really disappointed that adults in a position of power and trust failed these students in such a huge way. I know that they've tried to explain away what they did, but the fact is they condoned and glorified a hateful symbol, a symbol of division, and I imagine myself as one of those students seeing that, the Latinx student, and being really confused and hurt by it, and feeling unworthy and unwanted and hated and excluded. And that, above all else, is what made me so angry, because I don't want any child to feel that way, and I don't want any child to feel for one moment that they are wrong in some way or that they should be shamed for for where they come from or who they are. And I think that's exactly what happened with those images and I think that that's just really inexcusable. I've always felt that my responsibility as a young adult author is to be authentic, um, to tell a story as truthfully as I can and to not turn away from difficult subjects and to tell stories that foster empathy and understanding. That is what has always guided my writing for young adults, so in that sense things have not changed. Uh, But in the current political climate, I think we have even more of a responsibility to make sure more and more diverse stories exist in the world. Stories that reflect the reality of the many people who make up this world. For me, I absolutely feel a responsibility to add to the canon of Latinx literature. I feel especially moved to tell the stories of the lives directly affected and impacted by what's going on today, like the children from Central America who are seeking asylum in the United States. Their stories are too often reduced to clips on the news or a headline or a scroll through a timeline, and their names are forgotten as they become numbers and percentages and statistics. I want to make sure their stories are told too, and I feel a responsibility to do that.
1: And author Guadalupe Garcia-McCall, who also co-wrote The Middleton Letter.
4: My name is Guadalupe Garcia-McCall, and I am the author of Under the Mesquite, Summer of the Mariposas, Shame the Stars, and All the Stars Denied. They are all young adult, multicultural children's literature. The first time I saw the images of educators at Middleton Heights Elementary School, dressed up as a border wall and in racist stereotypes on my Twitter feed. I was confused. I wasn't sure if it was real. Even after I read all the tweets, I kept thinking, this isn't possible. Teachers? No. Then confusion led to horror, and I put my phone away and sat in that space for a while, letting the emotions run their course. Why? Why? Would they do that? I kept asking myself. I remember reaching out to Jenny and saying, I want to lead with compassion. I know it's terrible and horrible and tragic. And I'm sure now they see how very wrong it is. But I don't want to feed into this concept of hate. I want to make something positive out of it. As a Latinx author writing for children in this current political climate, I don't think I feel any less called to action than I did before I started writing multicultural books. If anything, I feel that it's important for me to step up to the plate and do more than write than ever before. As a US citizen, a member of the community, I must speak openly about our wounds, the pain that we are all experiencing as a country in flux. We are in the midst of growth and change and shifts in our demographic that are causing an extraordinary amount of anxiety. And that anxiety is being fed largely by our fear, the social aspect of it. We see the reflection of all this on TV, on social media, even in our schools, and we are so scared. We open the door, step out, and we are afraid of who or what we might encounter next. And so we are, in a sense, turning on each other as humans, ripping each other apart at a time when we should be reaching out and saying, I know you are wounded. I am wounded too. Here's a book. Here's a website. Here's a resource. Here's a whole group of people who understand you and want to help you. That's what we should be doing. We should be saying, let's fix it. Let's help each other. Let's build community.
1: A quick note. As of Saturday, January 26th, Jenny Torres-Sanchez tells us that she reached out to the mayor, the city council members, the superintendent, and the principal of Middleton Heights Elementary via emails, United States Postal Service, and fax. No one responded to their offers or requests. Thank you, Meg, Jenny, and Guadalupe for sharing those responses with all of us. So Karina, you know, I'm a librarian. I can't help but talk about books. And actually, I know for a fact that you can't help talk about, but talk about books with your friends too. Am I right? Yeah,
0: you would be correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew this to be true.
1: So I I think that uh, turning our attention now to some books that we can read with our children or share in our classrooms or uh, display in our library, we can do a lot of good with these stories that will invite stories of emigration, stories of experience coming to this country and experience growing up and finding a place here in making this nation great. Sharing those books will help, I think, in our places, change our climate and help focus us on the way that we turn this around, the way that we be the change, much like those authors we just heard from. So... I know we have this great stack of books and there will be so many more that we don't even have a chance to get to, but why don't we first start with one that you and I both love and that is Dreamers by Juju Morales.
0: Yes, so good, so good.
1: This beautiful picture book is uh, a story of, uh, semi-autobiographical, the story of Juju and her son emigrating to America and finding themselves, where they first found home in this country amid strange language and different customs and things looking different, finding a place where story helped connect and helped a young woman, a young mother take root. And the art of this story is done through beautiful collage that also brings in pieces of Judy's life and pieces of her journey and of her raising her son.
0: Um, I think she does a really great job with her art and um, interspersing the page spreads with so many interesting details, some being drawn, some being collaged on, some um, being photographs of her embroidery. And you noted something um, when we were chatting.
1: No, so I love that in the back of the book, there is an author note. Shuji shares more of her own personal story. But as we often find in that Library of Congress information where it notes uh, how the art was rendered, um, in this art in particular, Zhuji notes all of the actual items and textures that she brought into this art, the significance of... Uh, a brick from her, from the house that 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 uh, she lived in in Mexico, and other materials that you can follow back in the story, and mm-hmm. realize that these are things she took with her, both the memories of these things, and also some things that she held onto, like her son's blanket mm-hmm. um, that that she used as. Uh, textile in the book itself, that personal touch was something that uh, made it to me feel like I was being shared with an intimate story of immigration, something that was so deeply personal. um, But one also that is a story that many of my students I know could share their own stories of too, or their families could share their stories of those special things from the other home they lived in, and what they brought here, what they held on to, what they remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, um, I mean, all the back matter is so fascinating. So after the story ends, you flip the page, and she has a whole spread about her own story. So she um, immigrated from Mexico, she had married, um, she was going to marry Kelly's father, her son's father, her son is Kelly, and um, Kelly's father was a U.S. citizen. So they left to go to America, and then it wasn't until she reached America that she learned that because of U.S. immigration rules, she was expected to stay in the United States and couldn't return to Mexico. And... There's this part at the end of her author's note, which I thought was so beautiful, where she talks about being a dreamer. Um, and so now in our political climate, we when we hear the word dreamer, we think about the undocumented immigrants who were brought to the United States as children and who were raised here and went to school here and know no other country than this as their own. And Juju was saying that um, even though... Kelly, her son, was not a dreamer in that way. She writes, Kelly and I were dreamers in the sense that all immigrants, regardless of our status, are dreamers. We enter a new country carried by hopes and dreams and carrying our own special gifts to build a better future, which I think is so beautiful. And so, I don't know, reading this book really made me feel so many emotions. <laughs> and I, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's exceptional. We've got a number of other books to share, and ones that approach immigration, or even the next one just approaches a literal wall in different ways. And this next book sort of points out the peculiarity of walls. The picture book I'm talking about, of course, is The Wall in the Middle of this book by John Agee. Uh, and the wall in the middle of the book is what it sounds like. There is a wall erected on the... um in the the spine of the book or in the the <laughs> what do you call where the two pages come together the crevasse of the book the <laughs> <laughs> no the spine no <laughs> I don't know but don't you love it um anyway there's a wall erected right there in the middle of the book and so we find that the uh John is using the the book itself as the setting as the medium for the story and you know walls are built to protect, to keep those on one side of it safe, but also to keep harm from coming from the other side, right? Uh, This is the argument we're hearing in our current political climate, that uh, even just recently when um, Trump addressed the nation, saying that it's not to keep all of the bad people out only, but also to keep all of us inside here safe. Now, we will talk in other picture books about how the implication that the people coming into our country are coming in to do us harm is just not true. Uh, there are people coming in like Juji because they're dreaming of a, a different life. They're dreaming of what opportunity might await them in this country. But in the wall, in the middle of the book, there is danger coming and there is a wall that is unscalable and, uh, a, a knight who is sure that they are on the right side of the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, Things happen in the story that I'm not going to give away because I'm a good librarian. (laughs) But it's interesting the way that the story sort of picks at what it means to be on the quote unquote right side of the wall Mm -hmm. or what it means to think that a wall is right or serving the purpose that you've intended. Uh, It's sort of a great commentary on the structure of a wall itself. I quite liked it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think it's such an accessible book for younger kids, too, because I think that they get it immediately. It's not over explaining anything. It's just telling the story and they can see on every spread sort of what's happening. And it's a great launching off point to talk about things that are happening now in our country. So another book I'd like to talk about is called Planting Stories, The Life of Librarian and Storyteller Pira Belpre. This is written by Annika Aldemoy-Denise with illustrations by Paola Escobar. And I wanted to talk about this book because so many of the fantastic authors that um, you just heard on this podcast are Belpre winners. And um, so the Bell Pre Award is awarded every year at the American Library Association Youth Media Awards. And the Bell Prey Award is specifically given to Latinx authors. And so I was really excited when I saw this book because I did really want to know more about this woman. And she came to America in 1921. And Um, She was coming from Puerto Rico, and she started working as a bilingual assistant at the New York Public Library, which made me very happy because I spend so much of my time at the New York Public Library, and it's so cool to see that connection. And she's had a really fascinating life. Um, She's done a lot of things. She, at the library, she used to do story times with the kids, and everyone loved her. And then she started writing her own stories. She was a puppeteer, and I just found this picture book so charming and beautiful. I just thought this woman was just such a vivacious presence. And the illustrations are really beautiful. And um, they just really make Oh,
1: yeah. Shout out to... Shout out to Paula yeah, Escobar. Amazing. Beautiful illustrations.
0: Just so many things to look at and discover on every page. And the book is really new. It just came out a couple of days ago, and it published simultaneously in English and Spanish, which I love that the publisher did that. And it's a, it's a great book. I would strongly suggest picking it out at the library and checking it out.
1: The story of one of our nation's most Famous and influential librarians, and also, uh, you know, we are right on the heels of the Youth Media Awards. They'll be they'll be awarded as of recording this. They'll be uh, awarded in a week, and uh, knowing that that Belpré had this influence of hearing all of these stories from her grandmother growing up in Puerto Rico, and that she brought those stories with her, and those became the roots of the of the stories she shared during her story times at the New York Public Library is just something so beautiful to know that some of those stories were preserved because of not only her love of hearing those stories from her grandmother but also then of sharing them with children and of writing them down and having them published so that they could be shared by people that weren't able to uh, get to New York, attend her story times by people that were all over the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the middle grade books that um, we had chosen to talk about was a book called Someone Like Me, How One Undocumented Girl Fought for Her American Dream by Jelissa Arce. And this is her um, autobiography. It's based on her memoir, my underground American dream, my true story as an undocumented immigrant who became a wall street executive. And that was, um, the book for adults. And then it was adapted for younger readers. And I really enjoyed this story because it made me feel like I really could follow her life and her story. So she talks about how, when she was younger, she lived in this town in Mexico and her parents would sell these fruit drinks at different fairs. And then, um, later on they, they start selling silver jewelry and her parents would cross the border legally into America and, um, sell the jewelry at various fairs and expos and then come back and see their family. And so Jalissa didn't, there was periods of time in her life where she didn't see her parents very often at all and as she grew up um, I think her parents got concerned about how they weren't around very much and so they bring Julissa to Texas to live with them and then she secretly lives as an undocumented immigrant and knows this about her status and what would happen if someone found out about it. So um, it was really heartbreaking to read how she would make friends, but then never really feel able to open up completely because of this fear that she would be found out and sent back to Mexico or get her parents in trouble. And um, she goes on to get a scholarship and goes to a great college and then becomes eventually a um, high-ranking vice president at Goldman Sachs. And it was just, it's really interesting to read. And I think um, the Young Readers Adoption is really well suited for middle grade readers who want to learn on a more personal note what life is like for dreamers and sort of that constant fear that you walk around with that someone's going to find out that you are going to have to leave this country that you grew up in and go to a country that you don't know much about and yeah i thought it was really well done
1: it's a thought i have such a hard time wrapping my brain around the fear of having to be uprooted from what you call home from Mm -hmm. what you feel like is stability, to never maybe really feel stable. I feel like it's such a privilege to feel unthreatened, Mm -hmm. to feel like you're sure of where you're living, where uh, you'll be able to call home tomorrow or the next day, where uh, meals are going to come from. It's such a privilege. And to have these books remind us um, that there are many stories to what it means to be American I think is really powerful. But I know, Karina, that what we shared, although these are the books that we love, there are so many other books out there. And so listeners, we would love to hear your recommendations. What are you reading? What have you read and loved about immigration, about borders, about stories from other places, about making America great by what we all bring to the table, We would love to hear your recommendations. You can share them with us over Twitter using hashtag KidLitRiot or email them to Karina at BookRiot.com. That's K-A-R-I-N-A at BookRiot.com. You can even record a voice memo and send it via email. And who knows, you just might hear it shared on a future episode. We'd love to hear your recommendations and how you're using them to connect with your students, with your children, with your stories of family.
0: Well, this has been so great. And listeners, thanks for hanging out with us today. We would love your feedback and would really appreciate if you rate us on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. And you can find Matthew and I on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Karina Jan Glazer and on Instagram at Karina is reading and writing.
1: And I'm on Twitter at Matthew Winner and on Instagram at Matthew C. Winner.
0: If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to see on the show.
1: May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep coming.